Hello, my name is Zach, and I'm a first-year medical student at the CUNY School of Medicine. Hi, my name is Amar. I'm a rising senior and econ student at Case Western. Welcome to the MSX podcast, a show about a broad range of topics in medicine, from education to exploring research and contemplating future directions for the field. In each episode, we speak with leaders in the field to learn from their insight and expertise. This week, we have Dr. Malik, an interventional cardiologist at Mamadi's Department of Cardiology. Dr. Malik played a pioneering role in converting Mamadi's Med Center into a 100% primary PCI program. He has a keen interest in research and has been an investigator of multiple randomized trials, as well as an author of multiple journal articles and book chapters. So for the first question, I'd like to get, you know, a more broad understanding of your career journey and maybe what sparked your interest in cardiology. Medicine in general is considered a very noble profession, and uh, that's probably what drives most people. You know, you may see uh, at a younger age, uh, what are the dreams of any kid? You want to be a firefighter, you want to be a pilot, you want to be a nurse, you want to be like, no, a doctor, anything which you believe you can contribute. And that's anybody's dream usually. Uh, And as you grow up, things change. Somehow, uh, like, no, uh, if I can say that, my grandma used to be sick a lot. And uh, during her sick times back home, you know, you looked up to doctors and when they came in and it gave you hope that things are going to happen now. And like, no, you wanted to be like them. You want to be like, no, that person which you're looked up to, that you're looked up to with hopes that you can change things. I guess that must have been the very early, early thing, you know. And again, uh, as I said, it's a very respected profession, noble profession. Even financially, people don't do that bad. So considering all this, probably it sparked an interest early on in medicine in general. And about cardiology, how do you like cardiology? Like, no. Uh, one of our earlier program directors here used to say anybody who comes from overseas, it's an autosomal dominant trait to be a cardiologist. Everybody wants to be a heart doctor. And gradually they realize either it's not their interest or it's too hard or something. And then they start deviating into other things. But somehow uh, it's been uh, most people, somehow when they join residency, somehow cardiology becomes the first love. It's, it's intense. It's something especially heart attacks when people are really dying and your presence there can change the whole scheme of things. It's, it's very enticing, very, you know, uh, people feel uh, very empowered and people feel they can, as I said, contribute very positively there. It, it makes instant gratification is there, especially interventional cardiology. That probably is a big, uh, uh, a big rush. That's what people like. And uh, there was uh, an international cardiologist from uh, Washington, D.C., who was a Kashmiri in origin, who did very well. Uh, and uh, he used to come back home from lectures and stuff. So that was a huge impression on you. You wanted to be like him. So that probably prompted me to like and somehow uh, get into cardiology. I was wondering about that mentor you mentioned, were there any particular traits that stood out to you in him that you wanted to emulate? The problem is I don't want to mention names here. Uh, for Some of his traits I may not like, you know, and that's why I don't want to mention names. But to be honest, one of the biggest things in him is uh, I remember back home, he was not supposed to be a good academically, a good student. And a professor back home once said on rounds that 
when they were told that he was doing so well in the United States and he was making land-breaking things and doing great work, he said he could never believe it till he went down and saw him operate with his own eyes. And that is the only time he believed he could just do it because he was not known to be that great a student. So uh, I think to his credit, uh, it's very important just being academically good student is not enough. Or uh, that's not a gold standard doing well in exams, which we all look back back home, that was the criteria for everything. Like, you know, if you were top of the class, it's because you did great in the exam. That's not enough in life. There, are, There's much more than exams. And uh, sometimes uh, I tell even my kids the same thing. You just got to take these exams because you have to take it. I don't think they're an absolute test of anybody's ability. But that has to, you have to go through them. So that's a part of life. But you can, as uh, in his example, he did so well and proved everybody wrong. Mm -hmm. That goes to his huge credit. So what are some of the qualities you think, you know, are very important in your field? See, I feel they're important in any field, the rest of everything. Uh, uh, we train a lot of residents and fellows. Uh, See, for example, interventional cardiology, what I tell them is that, you know, uh, in interventional cardiology, you get called at odd at times for an acute MI, and it may be midnight, it may be 2 a.m., and when you are early and young and you want to jump in and you want to go in, but gradually that sometimes dies down. And my advice to them is that if you are ready to jump out of your bed with a smile on your face at 2 a.m., then this is for you. If you start kicking things and cursing people, oh, run out again, I was just going to sleep, then there are many other things. You can, you can probably make much more money doing something else, even in medicine, even off-based medicine. This is not uh, probably financially as lucrative as anything else, as dermatologies and as plastic surgeries or whatever. So that should not be your kick to do this. It has to, like anything else, it has to be a passion. If you really want to do it again for you guys also, like uh, even in general schooling, my my philosophy is that first maybe even five, ten years or building years of anybody's career, schools should rather than teaching everybody everything, I think teachers should be taught to recognize that fire, that spark in that person. What does that person want? And direct them that way. Somebody's excellent in maths, direct them that way. He doesn't have to do something else if he really wants to. So if you feel that that is where his passion is, follow that passion, you will do very well there. You don't have to try and do something else. That example for you know, kids from India who do great in those IITs and score, oh, beat hundreds and thousands of people going to those IITs and come here, do MBAs, end up working for a bank. That's a, that's a shame. Like, you know, it's just that if you have absolute passion for a thing, even if it is cleaning floors, you will be the best at that. And you will make a difference there. But if you're doing a job, just for sake of doing a job, you'll be an ordinary person. You probably will make an okay living. That's, that's sometimes not enough. No, like, there are hundreds and thousands of kids who try out and say basketball or tennis and stuff, but only people who make it big are people who, who like, no, who dream it, who drink it, who wake up during night. That's what you do. 
if that is in your blood that's what you want to do somehow the greatest effort should be to find that niche in any kid what is that which drives you crazy which you really want to do every moment it doesn't matter like no it's your past time you it's your free time that's what you think about if you pick that if you get that you will i don't see any reason any person should not be successful in that mm-hmm. i guess jumping off from that um in regards to passion would you be able to speak about a time that stands out to you as a high point or a peak in medicine like a moment where you felt most effective alive engaged just just feeling that type of passion that you were talking about see again uh, good and bad part of medicine especially interventional cardiology is that no uh, everybody see for example in this country uh, an attorney takes one bar exam is passed and he's done with exams a financial professional takes that exam he's qualified for finance is done with exams all right but a medical professional may take a million exams which we have to take every 10 years and still he's not done with that exam every patient is an exam right every time you face a new patient then there are no similar patients they will have something different even if they present with the same same thing so you are faced with an exam every day good part is like now in interventional cardiology we get these emergencies obviously heart attacks and people are i can narrate a a hundred stories when people were bought dead and somebody thought they were gone and you went in you open up and somehow they wake up i can tell you stories vice versa when when i thought that we did a great job and he should wake up and they never do uh kind of diverting from that lots of times uh to be honest no i'm not a very religious person but my faith comes from my work absolutely and i discuss that with my friends all the time like now uh, i have seen we do everything possible everything is going right and something happens and it just does not work and vice versa when things are going totally downhill and things start showing up and whatever you didn't do anything differently and it works up so then makes you realize this sometimes maybe six sense or something you feel things are working this way and somehow you have to have that connection to pick those small things small signals up and utilize it it's 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 a, a surreal feeling it's very hard to explain what that is but that that's once you experience it for yourself you will know what that is that's that's over and beyond any uh, any kind of a logical or a scientific explanation for that Mm-hmm. And I think my next question is going to be going back to um the journey, right? So I'd love to hear more about, you know, your experience adopting to the, you know, US healthcare system after going from Pakistan. See, I'm from Kashmir. Kashmir is basically a place between India and Pakistan which they kind of fight for because everybody believes this is theirs. That's a different political situation, but that's where we are from. see as with any southeast asian country probably like you no know, there's a lot of focus on academics there's a lot of focus on numbers there's a lot of focus on uh, getting first down there getting 100% all the time which probably is not bad but again uh, in education that it's not a wholesome education that way it's it's focused towards getting numbers right getting uh, 100% any exam which sometimes uh, is a limitation 
But at the same time, uh, I think uh, what we lack here knowing and training a lot of medical students and residents is that they don't have that sound basis of their, uh, did somehow, I haven't seen hardly any medical students read textbooks. Their bases are not as strong as anybody trained or who has gone to medical school in any South Asian country, be it Pakistan, be it India, especially if you're going to top their medical school there and have done very well, who most of them have done well, and that's why they end up here. Academically, book knowledge-wise, they're way ahead of anybody here. And you would be surprised that there is data from this country that patients who were treated by physicians who were trained abroad do much better than patients treated with physicians who were trained here. Wow. We produce tons of sub 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 specialists, but they are very good and they're very subspecialists they're in their niche fields, but they somehow cannot correlate the whole thing because their depth of knowledge is not there. They have knowledge and their subspecialty, but they don't have a total hold on the whole subject because they never read to that extent. They read their own small booklets, exam pass things, those like condensed things. Um, that way, like, you no, know, uh, if you talk to anybody there, somehow they we used to memorize textbooks. Like memorize, they will tell you on what page, what side, up, upper right side, it was written in red color and the graph was on the upper corner. It, it's, it's like crazy. Uh, again, which I don't think is needed, but at the same time, that gives you a lot of... Uh, comprehensive information it's 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 drilled into you you're forced to do that you unfortunately memorization is effect but in medicine you it's so vast you cannot memorize everything so you somehow have to find a connection how to keep that knowledge in. and that's only comes when you interact with when you when you correlate with patient care when you correlate with patients there is so much here there's no way you can memorize everything I think that's that's a, one of the major differences. For example, uh, one of the conditions which uh, COVID gives you is a respiratory failure called ARDS. Um, it's a different one than the regular ARDS, but as a medical student back home, I knew exactly how to manage it, but I had never seen it done. I could tell you all the steps, but I had never seen a ventilator being worked like that. Here you have more practical experience. You you see all the gadgets, all the latest things, what how to use them, how to do them. But the kid there, who may know exactly, but he has never seen it. He has never experienced it. So that's that's a different uh, ball game. They work within their own limitations, and unfortunately, which one of the reasons somehow uh, I also left because uh, it was heartbreaking to be limited by. Uh, not able to do give this, 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 that was very heartbreaking sometimes. Not that leaving there, that was an answer, but kind of most of us, I can tell you of my and my friends came here for academic excellence. They did not come here to make a good living or make a good life because thank God our life back home was much comfortable than the life here. But then political things and stuff like that, we somehow got stuck here. Now, there's an interesting story on that. I interviewed in a Cleveland Clinic for a medical position for a second year. And some of the chairman of medicine from was kind of from the same place I am. And after all the interview process, I sat with him for just a courtesy interview or whatever. So he told me what your goals are. 
I said, I want to do interventional cardiology and go back home. He looked at my face and said, there's no home back home. This is your home. And I will guess that you should learn to live here. And he told me that time, interventional cardiology is not the right thing to do. Because if you had come when I came, that was the right thing to do. But right now, those days, it was family practice was a big thing. You should do family practice, make a good living, settle down. And that's the right thing. I came out of that room, furious said, oh, he's married to a white woman here. He's lost just totally, you know, I want to go back home next time. So he was probably partially right. I did interventional cardiology anyway, but I somehow did not end up going home as of now, although the dreams are still there. Uh, one of the dreams is building a hospital or working and giving people they are the same kind and level of care which we have here. Uh, we can talk about that some other day. We have done some work there as in part of an NGO, but that dream still is there. From your experience then to the time now, is there any way that you've seen cardiology change as a field? And do you have any direct directions or ideas of where it's going to be going in the future? See, cardiology has evolved tremendously, meaning uh, the level of cardiology practice in this country is incredibly at a high level. God forbid, most of uh, people who end up as a heart attack in most hospitals in this country, if not all, uh, will be taken care of right away and will get um, to the cath lab or a cloud busting medication right away. Like we have certain parameters to feel people, hospitals who give just cloud busting medications, very few of them in this country now have to give it within 30 minutes of it. Or like people who go to hospitals like ours, where they come to the cath lab to get their artery open, we have what's called the door to balloon time. You have to technically do it within 90 minutes of it. Every hospital has to report this data to ACC and national agency. So these things get monitored. So who's taking how much time or whatever. Uh, that makes it a much, much higher level of care. You can see, like, you know, I can tell you a story of an, a person who got a heart attack in Kuwait. Somehow from Kuwait, he went to Iraq. From Iraq, he ended up in Karachi. In Karachi, after around a week's time, he got an angiogram. After the angiogram, they told him, okay, these arteries are blocked, deposit this much of money, then we'll open up the artery. So after the next three, five days, he got, so two weeks elapsed between his heart attack and this. That means the muscle which was affected was dead by that time. It was, it was stupid. He somehow was alive, but that's a different level of care. So here, the level of care is tremendous. And like now, it's uh, if people end up... Uh, needing a bypass, most of them emergent bypass will be done the same day. It's just, it's unheard of in the rest of the world. And I don't want to kind of uh, uh, boast of the care in this country that I understand uh, expensiveness of this medicine is, uh, it's, it comes at expense and everybody is very worried about that. But uh, the universal health care and stuff like that, which, which is very enticing to you guys at young age, which is very nice. But unfortunately, that comes at a huge price. It's not the same level of care in any such countries, whatever the numbers say, England, Canada, it's not the same amount of care. It's not the same level of care. See, anybody here, even without insurance, who ends up in any ER is not denied care at all, gets the best care anyway. Whereas, as I said, it comes at a price, that's true. Healthcare is a huge expense. But 
that does not mean that there's a fault with the system. There are, there are other things which can be really fixed if price has to be addressed. But why does it happen that anybody in any country in the world, if they get sick, the head of the state gets sick, why does he come for care in the end? Mm-hmm. He comes here. Be it from Europe, be it from Middle East, everybody comes here for the level of care. So that's that's has to be borne in mind by all of you. But uh, it may come at a price, but the level of care in this country is absolutely top-notch. As for future directions in cardiology, like now even in interventional cardiology, there's a lot of AI being involved, robotic surgeries being involved. There's going to be robotic interventions coming in down the road, uh, which will probably take some time, but still, it's this huge advancement. I'd love to hear more about you know, this advancement in AI and in cardiology and maybe what skills, you know, of a cardiologist will change as we see more AI and robotics in, in medicine. See, in radiology, at least there is again data that, you know, CAT scans read by help of AI are most of the times read as good, if not better than read by a human sometimes. There are different limitations to it but it's an evolving science. Like now certain things can be exactly done by that. If, if, for example, there's a picture interpretation thing, that's not a big deal for AI to figure out because they can, they can do measurements to the millimeter or half a millimeter and stuff, which your naked eye may not be able to do. Or they can see lots of interpretations. Sometimes I don't know, somebody's not in a good mood. The picture quality is not good. AI has, doesn't have such limitations, right? So human factor is taken out of that. But there's, in medicine, uh, there's a lot more which uh, being a doctor is important. Because again, as we said, that correlation thing, which people don't have here sometimes, is not just about one picture, it's not about one test. See, again, treating the heart, brain, lungs, kidneys, skin, they don't function independently. It's one composite system. So to get everything into one, like now when things change in heart, things change in kidneys also, things change in brain also, to get everything in cameras in one is going to be an enormous task. But yes, bits and pieces can be taken care of. Like now, see robotic PCA, robotic intervention is, is if they, if you want to go out a particular area, which is well-researched, well-documented, can work, yes, you can do. But uh, having had, see, if I give a set of complaints to you, like somebody came to emergency room with cough, headache, this and that, exactly the same age, same presentation, everything else, right? And uh, you have an algorithm device, they will give you five differential diagnoses, the six differential diagnoses. But for a physician who's trained, if he looks at his face for a person, he may say, this, this is all nonsense, he doesn't have anything because he gets that physical impression that somebody may be just you know, like that. You know, uh, we get that all the time. See, for example, there are patients who come with the typical chest pains and all the time to emergency rooms for nonsense sometimes. And they have lots of times psychiatric issues and other issues which are not accounted for. So to get everything in one place may not be easy. But bits and pieces, I think uh, it will make leaps and bounds going forward they can probably incorporate more and more things. Prior to this uh, interview, I was looking uh, specifically about 
some of the innovations in cardiology and I found a TAVR or TVR, transcatheter aortic valve mm-hmm. replacements. I was wondering how they've changed the state of cardiology and what new innovations do you see from that? See, when uh, we start, like uh, when, even when I started, the only way you could replace aortic valve was open heart surgery, right? Now, fast uh, probably 13 years or so, it's almost been approved for the last 13 years. First, it got approved, in, I think it was 2009 or so, for very high-risk cases, which were considered surgically inoperable cases. So now it's approved even for lower and lower-risk cases, intermediate and lower-risk cases. So you can imagine somebody who had to get his chest cut open for a procedure, now we do it like regular angioplasty through a grind and patient can go home next day or in two days without a chest being open. That's that's a huge, huge advancement. And uh, right now what we do, there are two wells uh, approved in this country, Medtronic and Edwards. They have each uh, little different features which can be used one and the other depending upon the need of that person. And it's a very, very convenient and easy it made life very easy for us and for uh, patients also. So you, in my place, we do around 100, 100 to 125 tabs a year. And that was kind of 100 cardiac surgeries before, open heart surgeries before. And it's, it's just taken over uh, the whole surgical field that way. And uh, now... Uh, it's going to be coming up for the mitral valve, for the tricuspid valve as well, because they're a little more complex to device, but there are trials for both these valves too. But the commonest disease after the age of 60, 70 is aortic stenosis. That's probably the commonest disease elderly people have in this country. So that's a huge relief to a huge chunk of population. And it's a routine procedure we do, and we do it every week. You know, if there's one metric we could track like one biometric everyone should be tracking. What would it be? If we had like unlimited technologies, what metric should we be tracking? Metric which you probably, everybody has a, there would be no metric probably for, I don't know how to gauge that, Mm -hmm. should be probably happiness. So you can have two people with absolutely similar things and similar whatever financial situations similar everything and somebody's very unhappy it doesn't make any sense no somebody may who has probably limited resources and is happy is better off all the time is it right um, as regards health like no is there a single metric like no uh, one of the issues in this country is uh, obesity that's an easy metric to have. Like usually I tell my patients all the time, like, no, if you have a 400 pound person sitting next to a 135 pound person, same age, who's going to be alive 10 years later? Mm-hmm. Simple. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to even see what conditions this guy has, what condition that guy has. The 400 LB person is not going to be alive. As simple as that. At the same time, uh, another thing I use lots of times for patients is like, now, that's my personal experience. Patients who keep their appointments were compliant with their medications. See, if I have 25 patients to see in the office, I will know 100% these 15 patients are going to show come what may. 
other five may or may not show and four of them, I'm sure they may cancel or reschedule stuff like that. Again, 10 years later, I can assure you those 10 who were compliant with medications who showed up their appointment, they 10, all 10 of them are going to be alive. It's, it's a natural, natural thing. It's, it's something, you know, uh, lots of times uh, when you take your health seriously. In fact, I go to the extent that when people get heart attacks at a young age, it can be a blessing in disguise because they wake up to their healthcare needs right away. Otherwise, a 40-year-old is too busy with his life. He doesn't care. He never goes to doctor. He doesn't take care of himself. But if he gets a heart attack and he realizes he's going to die now and stuff, now he goes to doctor, he takes medications, he takes his diet seriously, he takes other things seriously. It's a wake-up call for him. He might in the long run do better than somebody who may not have had a heart attack but took his things lightly and ended up being diabetic, ended up being obese, ended up being some worse without having any major events. That wake-up call may be very important. That doesn't mean everybody should get heart attacks, but I'm saying sometimes it works to your advantage the way you take it. And again, um, there's a big issue with that too. Now and that our procedures are getting minimal and minimal invasive, meaning um, when I started, the only way we did angiograms was through grind. Now we, we do around 80%, 90% angiograms through the radial artery from the hand. So it's much easier, much more convenient. We used to put those sandbags on your grinds for four hours, five hours. So people thought, that this was a huge procedure. Now they come in, even in a heart attack, you go through the arm, procedure is done now, in a day or two, you're home, you feel there's nothing happened. It's very trivial and people don't seem to get the importance of it. At the same time, if you get an open heart surgery, your chest is cut open, you have multiple tubes coming up your mouth, chest, heart for three, five days, you take life very seriously after that. And everything changes, the major thing happened. But it's a lot that the team has to make sure that people get this idea that this is not, it's not a joke. I can tell you an example of a patient. He had had multiple heart attacks. He came for one more heart attack. One of the stents was blocked and I was trying to open this up. It was a very terrible, difficult procedure. And I thought we'll give up. He may need emergency bypass. Finally, somehow we got through, we opened up and everything is fine. So I was sweating. I told him, listen, like, no, you came so close to having a bypass and this doesn't take your life seriously. This with all the lecture and everything else, he said, okay, that's all good. Can I go home tonight? So whatever I tried to convey for half an hour, it, it fell flat on him. So if he had bypass surgery, you would have been totally, totally worried. So that's somehow how to, it's not about scaring people, how to make people realize importance it's not just doing a procedure, it's the whole team effort to make them understand that, what it means, maybe show them videos or maybe show them data of how many people die of heart attacks right away, you're lucky. And one of the lines I use all the time with my patients is that when they come with heart attack and make sure make, they go home safe, that, that this should be your second birthday because people die of heart attacks even before reaching home, especially within the first hour, most people, if you, they get... Uh, VTVF, arrest at home, they die and they never reach you in the hospital. So now you are alive, then this should be your second birthday. Some, sometimes, you know, getting to the, give them the gravity of situation and just making them understand this really helps in management in the long run. Otherwise, people take it very easy. And one of the 
things people use who have kind of religious faith there's nothing against that oh god has given me this much time i don't care i will die when i have to die who cares which is not the rightest way we have to it's very difficult sometimes how to get around it because at the same time you know god has given you avenues no if you don't just jump off a building and say okay that's fine there there is a staircase there's an elevator you can just jump up 20th floor so if i have to die i will die i will reach down anyway but chances are you're not going to be alive on the ground if you just jump off so god has given you mind god has given you avenues to path and you have to realize to take the right avenues so it's a, sometimes a tough challenge difficult task with people but you again uh, unfortunately lots of people have less and less time these days but more time you spend more explanations you do and then develop a relationship with the patient they have to trust you if so i tell this patient the same thing if they don't trust you there's no point following up it's just useless there's nothing wrong in getting second opinions third opinions i welcome people go check with somebody else that's fine with me but at the same time if they don't have faith in you if they don't trust you it's useless there's no point following up i guess uh, another question regarding your you know patient relationships i was wondering if you could tell us about a patient that touched your heart and a patient that changed your practice a picking a one patient would be very hard like no uh, my problem is like uh, it's not just about one patient i usually get involved in patients meaning i know their families i know what's going on with their families kids and this and that gives you that relationship with the patient and that gives you insight to the other things what's going on sometimes unless you you trying to uh, go into those details you will never know them everything i can give an interesting story i have a lot of these uh, elderly ladies who have to go back to egypt or pakistan or india when they come to my office and i see a smile on their face i know they probably are going next month back to their home country at that time they don't complain of anything everything is fine no chest pain no sharpness of pain they don't want to open up a can of worms they're happy because they're going they will not complain of anything and this very interesting patient is she's an elderly lady and her two daughters take lovely care of her like i have never seen the son but daughters bring her in every time or whatever but when i go to in the room and if i see she is not in a good mood do you know the word the answer is answer is her son has not called for last couple of days if she is smiling probably her son called last night these are interesting dynamics sometimes now it's it is what it is it's very sad but you got to know other parts of it you know um, what's going on with their lives spouses there are stresses at work financial stresses they all come into play in managing a patient see i tell even uh, residents and fellows sometimes they write the top notch medications for them like you no know, there's this 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 if their insurance does not approve it and lots of times these pharmacies don't fill them up because they know they need a copy of $500 for this and these guys lots of times may not be literate enough to call for a replacement or whatever and result is they don't take the medication so there's no point giving them these high end medications if either you first don't make sure that their insurance approves of it 
or they are capable of taking it or capable of doing it. It's better of giving regular random medications which can help them making sure they can take them. So sometimes again, that, that again has to be balanced out sometimes. It can be very tricky. It, as I said, like you not know, taking good care of these people, sometimes it takes a lot more effort, a lot more time than usual. And uh, that's a big limitation. And it's not rocket science. It's common sense most of the times. But somebody has to do it. You know, your team or whatever you have, a nurse practitioner or a PA and stuff. And uh, if they are caring enough, if they understand the dynamics, at the same point, like you no, know, like a profession of nursing, it's it's huge. It's it's not easy doing that. It's not easy cleaning up somebody's vomit or somebody's diarrhea every day or somebody's smelly. It's it's a huge commitment. If you are not there for the passion, there's much more money in tons of other things. It's not if you start, you know, somebody throws up and you, oh my God, I'm not going to that room, they're so smell, then this is not for you. You can do something else. Thank you for your time, Dr. Malik. As we wrap up, you know, if there's any final words of motivation or words of advice, best resources that have helped you along the way, anything for like people aspiring you know, physicians. Same thing, there are two things which we probably repeat a couple of times. One, you, you got to find where your heart lies, where you, what your passion is. That's very, very important and follow it. Like, no, again, um, um, it's more kind of a, a global thing. Uh, if you go into it for wrong reasons, it never works. Meaning if you go into it to, oh, I had to be famous or I had to make money or I had to do something, like I had to be chief of this. That's not the reason to go into anything for I give the story, everybody, that uh, I don't know if you follow cricket. Sachin Tendulkar was one of the big Indian cricketers. And at the age of 14, with his other classmate, he made a huge uh, uh, world record of some 700-something run partnership. And he was interviewed that time. I don't think somebody coached him. It came out of his heart. He was told, oh, what are your plans now? Are you going to be playing for India? Are you going to be an Indian captain? Are you going to be this? And he said that my coach told me, Go out there and do your best. That's what I know. That's what I do. If everything else has to come, that will come to me automatically. My job is going out and doing my best. I think that's a huge line to know. You go out there and do your best. Rest, finances, positions, they come and go. If they have to be in your destiny, they will come. And lots of times you get very really disheartened as young people. Oh, oh, my colleague, he did this. He got a better car. He got a bigger house. It's in the end, it's not about that. It's about much more than that. In whatever way you believe. And again, that as I said, that personal satisfaction, happiness, going to able you go to bed and are able to sleep comfortably. That no, you're not afraid you did something wrong, something crazy. You didn't hurt somebody at least consciously, unconsciously you may not be able to help. That's the greatest feeling you go with. Thank you so much, Dr. Malik. See you guys next week. Thank you, Dr. Malik. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure all the time. All the best.